Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 167th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. But this week, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the Judge Dread annual 1988. As always, annuals are dated for the year after the one they come out in. This is the eighth Dread Annual and features a multi-part story with full color art by John Higgins and classic tales from the archives. Price the annual is held steady this year at £3.50. And the big news for this one is my guest for the episode, host of the Mega City Book Club, Eamon Clark. Welcome to the show, man. Man, all right. Thank you, Borag son, Conrad. I'm back for another annual. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a while since you've been on the show. I think in the interim, both Fox and I were on your show uh, with some creature features. Yes, we have. We had podcast crossovers. We had giant killer bears and giant ants. Uh, Yeah. The worst and second worst kinds of giant things. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just so you know, this one's coming out around June. Are there? And I'd love to know if there's any um, recent or upcoming episodes that, that you're looking forward to. Um, on, on on MCBC, which is an amazing show, I'd, I'd recommend to everybody that's listening to this one. I don't know why you would listen to Space Spinner two thousand and not uh, Mega City Book Club. That seems weird to me. Yes, listen to all the two thousand AD podcasts. Uh, so I'm not quite as prolific as you, Space Spinner boys. Uh, so we've got coming up in the future will be episode one hundred, which will probably be out oh, amazing in August, and will probably feature um, Simon Belmont, who was on the very first episode of the podcast. And who knows, we might be visiting uh, or revisiting a certain um, space pilot of the future uh, to talk about then. Um, uh, We've also got, I guess, the other thing that's happening is uh, I'm continuing to branch out a bit like yourself, Conrad, into other British comics. So um, during this year, I'm hoping that we'll have uh, episodes about Hookjaw um, and also about some other comics like Deadline and Crisis and Diceman and so on. So oh, amazing. Some, uh, some interesting diversions. My guests are taking me slightly off the 2000 AD um, piece onto some other areas. Uh, so, yeah. Check out megacitybookclub.com for all the details. And That's also, yeah. there's an upcoming episode about a certain meltdown man, Conrad. Ooh, I'm excited for that meltdown man. When's he going to melt? That's what I want to know. Um, <laughs> well, you'll have to answer that question because you are going to be the guest on that episode. Indeed, That's your book. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm 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 so excited. I've I've I bought a copy of it and everything uh, of of a physical copy because I want to check. I want I want to see this artwork up close and stuff. It's 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 been one of my favorites from the early days. Um, just another one of these of these giant sprawling um um serial comics. So I'm I'm excited to talk about it for sure. So stay tuned. A man will or will not melt. We shall find out. <laughs> Better melt. <laughs> So so the last time uh, we had you on the show, it was for the 84 Judge Dread Annual, right in the heart of that um, 2080 golden age. All the all the stories, stories were, were, were drawn by Ascara and stuff. Um, we've had some some big changes now. And as we're in the middle of, of, of 87, like the comic feels very different from those days, I think. 
Yes, perhaps the as you say the the golden age is starting to fade slightly. Uh, they perhaps don't have the budget for all those color stories from Carlos that we did last time. And yeah, four years you you move fast on the Space Spinner two thousand. You know, we I I definitely try my best. We got to get you know. I feel like um you know as, as Fox will often groan about you know we look at the uh, at the path we have to take to 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 finish two thousand AD and sort of feel like all right. Like we've we we've got to get going on this trail, you know. Yes, I don't know. Do you know that bit from the Bill Bryson uh, film, um, "A Walk in the Woods," where he and his mate are doing the Appalachian Trail, and then after they've been on the trail for months, they stop in a sh- shop and look at the map and see how little they've done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely feel it. It 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 is humbling to sort of look at like you know we've done all this stuff. I, I think. We've just re like when this episode comes out, we'll have just reached twenty five percent. You know, we're sort of halfway to halfway of two thousand AD. Whoa, living on a prayer. <laughs> I mean, it's very like oh, like we're three years in. Oh my god, you know. <laughs> oh, blimey! It's, it's 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 very much something that I I don't I don't think about that much just because otherwise I feel like I'd be sad. I'd be sad, or I'd like be flying to Germany to to force Fox to do like two episodes, two or three episodes a week, so we can finally get 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 there. You know. Um. Well, if I, I if I don't remember to say this at the end of the episode, I'm going to say it now, Conrad. Uh, on behalf of 2080 fans, thank you for Space Spinner 2000. You and Fox, I know it's a terrific amount of work, and it's just wonderful the stuff that you put out, uh, and you're so prolific. And as you say, yeah. You're a half a world away from Fox now, aren't you? Yeah, it's very um, it, it 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 it's always funny because especially when I have guests on the show, they talk about how it must be difficult or how it's difficult to schedule um, you know, transcontinental or like you know, or I I, I I or I hear people on other podcasts make jokes about transcontinental podcasting and like, hey, like we've been at least five hours away from each other, basically like for over a hundred episodes <laughs> the almost. whole time, yeah. <laughs> um you know it's uh, like it 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 does give me some pride just because I, I i definitely have listened to podcasts where someone moving across town has ended the podcast yeah and i i i love that we've been able to keep going you know it's been and, and it's, it's it's definitely been been also very humbling just for people who have been listening who have been reading these comics for so long to appreciate the work we're doing on them you know we're sort of newcomers and outsiders to this world of, of british comics we're just sort of trying to you know See, you know, talk about about what what we like and and read these amazing works of art, and it's been really and so much of what's been powering us to do has been the support of fans and people who you know love these comics and you know tolerate our talking about them. Oh, that's great stuff. Though well done. I'll, I'll say for the record, I love the Mega City Book Club, and I I think I said on a previous episode that I feel like our two shows are uh, opposites. You know, like. One, one with people who, one with people who 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 don't know what they're talking about, going through 2008 with a very fine tooth comb, and then experts jumping around to the high points of the of <laughs> of, 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 of thrill output. You know, that's um, my guess. The experts, not me. You know, <laughs> I am sure. the I am the student. Uh, yeah, you are becoming the master. I mean, I feel like I, I I think I've said this on on the podcast before, but I definitely feel like um, you know. 
one of the world's for, foremost expert on on what on all the progs up to what 2000 up to what the show has gotten to just because <laughs> i feel like they're just now like there's just this huge wing of my brain that's 2018 stuff you know um but anyway oh geez so i was wondering i know last time when when we did the 84 annual you you had gotten it um in in the wild i think and i was wondering if uh what your experiences are with this eight with this annual from 87 like did you have a physical copy did you read it at the time and stuff no i don't think i read this one at the time because most of this stuff was new to me uh i'd read a couple of other stories that had been reprinted elsewhere uh when we get to the text story that i'd read that that's been reprinted and of course i think there's a bit of legacy there's a bit of uh, reprint oh, yes. material in here as well that I'd read, but a lot of this stuff was new to me actually. When I, this time, I, this is I think this is in one of my gaps. Oh, nice! Yeah. Well, yeah, that that's excellent. I think I, I I love when people get it, like you know, when, when veterans get a chance to read um, yeah. the to read new stuff and these and these annuals and and specials and stuff are often like like good spots for that, just because they you know they're sort of off the main timeline from from regular two thousand AD. Oh man! All right, so uh, let's get to it. I guess just to give you some context, um, Amen. Uh, last episode we just finished Prague five fifty or five thirty, I should say five thirty. Uh, so Judge Anderson is up against Sav Judge Orlock in Hour of the Wolf. Oh, of course. We, we've learned about uh, Simps and Judge Judge Dredd has just dealt with a fairly hyperman. Yep. Um, J- Johnny Alpha and Durham Red have just returned Ronald Reagan to nineteen eighty seven. Bad Jack Keller is learning about his immortality in Mean Team, Ooh. and uh, Rogue Trooper's about to finish Hit One, and we've just started the Dr. and Quinch Agony page. Ah, interesting stuff. Yeah, okay. So there's a bit of a variety there, uh, yeah. and we got we're a bit more variety here as well. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And we're 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 poised for Zenith to start, but that's about two episodes from now. So oh, it's very late. Right. Very exciting. You know, eight, 87 rolling along here. Yeah, absolutely. So after a year of uh, of, of Robin Smith covers for both Dread and 2000 AD and 86, which was kind of a bummer, uh, this year we get a love not, – not Robin Smith's bad, but they sort of ended up being kind of generic for the record. Um, but this year we get a, a lovely cover, I think, by by, by John Higgins, a, a massive Dread looming over a bulbous sci-fi megacity one as the sun sets behind him, which I think is really great. It's a beautiful cover, actually, isn't it? And I, I, you know, I now, of course, I know that John Higgins was the waterman, um, the colorist on Watchmen. Uh, but when I first saw this image, I never connected the two at all. But yes, mm. lovely, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a really great cover, actually, for this annual, which has such a like a gigantic John Higgins story in it. You yeah, know, very much. This is very much his annual. I feel like yes. Um, but so the inside cover has a dread's eye view of a lawmaster screen, a bunch of aliens hiding in a sewer. This one is also pretty good, but I couldn't tell who uh, who drew it. There, there's no signature or anything on it. No, it doesn't really leap out at who it might be. Uh, yeah, good the, creepy alien mutant, though. Definitely, yeah. It's 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 sort of xenomorphy, but not distinctive enough to kind of you know. Sometimes you, you can see an alien and, and instantly know who drew it, but this one isn't isn't jumping out at me. You know, yeah. The colors okay. look like John Higgins again, but definitely uh, could be. Yeah. And speaking of which, like we jump into the thrills with Thrill One, Last of the Bad Guys, Part One. So script robot Wagner and Grant, art robot John Wh- John Higgins, letting robot Tom Frame. Tom Frame. Tom Frame. It was 
I love you're still doing that. Fox has stopped. Has I, he? I, okay. I, I always feel sad because I'm like, that was that. That I, was that our was thing. Fun. That was his yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I also really like it was at, at the end of 86 they, um, that uh, Wagner and Grant started using the, their own names in, in, in the credit cards instead of uh, T.B. Grover, which is... Um, the end of the pseudonyms. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, so... This part's called Message from Marta, and we see an eagle-shaped message pod fly across the blasted landscape of the cursed earth. Real great landscapes here through canyons and fields of giant bones, past a uh, a 500 uh, kilometers to Mega City 1 sign that's been uh, tagged by Chopper. Though, I'm actually pretty sure that this is a Chopper copycat and not actual Chopper. We're still a couple months away from Oz and when he does his big cross-country trek. And like... Actually, I think it, in Hell Trekkers there was a uh, a signpost that also had a ha- had a chopper tag on it. I think it's just sort of you know copycats bringing the uh, bringing the message west, I guess. Of course. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, the pod arrives in Mega City One, and soon Dread is called into the Hall of Justice. Chief Judge Silver briefs Dread. They've received a message pod from Marta. from Judge Marta, who is investigating a band of outlaws by the Kalamazoo Drifts. And just so you know, um, Kalamazoo is in Michigan, not that far from the loca- from uh, another dread annual location, uh, Milwaukee. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the fear that made Milwaukee famous yes. with, with uh, Ro- Rooster, no, not Rooster Cogburn, Ro- Rhode Island Red. Yeah, that was him. Um, yeah. So um, the pod's empty, and that means it's either an accidental release or an emergency. Either way, Silver is sending an H wagon to investigate, and he wants Dread to go with it. Who are you going to send? There's always Dread. Yeah. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be a comic, but also he's yeah. the best, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so later, high above the land of the, the wasteland of the cursed earth, the hover wagon is nearing March's location, but there's no sign of her. There is, though, signs of a giant cloud of fresh, of flesh-eating bat monsters. Ripper Jacks! Oh no, the swarm. They look real bad. They'll strip the flesh off you in minutes, and we see them doing so to a town of Cursed Earth Mutants. But there's nothing, like, there's nothing the judges could do, even if they wanted to. Ugh. <laughs> um... So they're flying out when suddenly the uh, the H wagon crashes into a giant pillar of earth because the gyroscopes on the fritz. It looks like there's just something about the area that's causing a lot of uh, difficulties with their instrumentation and stuff. Um, still, and they've still heard nothing from Marta. And since the ship is having trouble, it's time to do what you normally do, which is just sort of like drop dread with this lawmaster out in the waste, and they'll come get him tomorrow, basically. Of course, drop off yeah. dread. Yeah. He'll, he'll figure it out. He always does. He always you know? does, with a bit of luck. We actually get Dread Thought Bubble. Oh, yeah. Just, I'll be here with a bit of luck. He, he, he's worried about the Cursed Earth, too. I think that's a rare moment of weakness for Judge Dread, you know? Yeah, but in view of what we've just seen, probably legitimate. It's true. That's a pretty terrifying swarm, for the record. Yeah. But with, with that, we're to be continued for later in the annual... Ah, and we shift yeah. away from John Higgins' beautiful colors uh, and his interest in H wagon pilots, and we see Indeed. some different uniforms. Yeah, different uniforms, cool hairstyles, and stuff. Yeah. Speaking of a grim sense of foreboding, it's Thrill Two Anderson Side Division. Bring on the bring on the side judge. Yeah, uh, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Mike Collins, letter robot Mark King. Uh, so yeah, we. 
we 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 we've got some black and white um, Anderson action here. For a long time, for several years, actually, we've had Anderson um, have solo strips in the annual way before she started having the progs. Though, of course, now we're in the midst of some really ridiculous Anderson stuff in the uh, in 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 the main prog. Hour of the Wolf is a really amazing uh, uh, Anderson story. So it's fun to see her here just sort of doing more day to day stuff. Yeah. Back on the streets. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we we learn about side division. They've got a bunch of different psychic people. There's precogs, telekines, hypnopaths, and telepaths. Um, like our lady Judge Anderson. Yeah. She gets a vision of a soldier wandering the city, the image of a skull for death and all this stuff. And so she gets on her bike and goes to check it out. She's heading to the uh the Sue's bot or boat block. Yeah, Which I, I I I wasn't familiar with that name. Do you know anything about it? I couldn't find out who that was at all. No, yeah. Does, doesn't yeah, show up. <laughs> I uh, tried like Susan Boat and stuff. It's like it must be. I don't know. Maybe somebody Probably, Alan Grant knew. Yeah, or maybe just someone on Coronation Street or something. That that that's usually who it yeah, is. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we then cut to a different point of view, some sort of like a war journal, basically by a by a military type guy. Talking about leading a squad, um, fighting a, fighting hostiles in a uh, in an urban area. We see the soldier from Anderson's vision stalking the slums of Mega City One, narrating as he goes. Of course, he approaches some homeless people, you know, sort of cooking under one uh, over barrel fire and stuff. As you when, do, yeah. I mean, as you do, of, of course, in Mega City One, definitely. <laughs> When suddenly a pack of strange dog-like creatures surrounds and attacks them. Yeah, real bad. The humans are all killed and Anderson sees it all in her mind. She calls for backup as the dogs and the soldiers walk away from their victims. The soldier carrying a dead body over his shoulder. It's looking grim. Yeah, yeah, send backup. This looks bad, says uh, Anderson. And suddenly they spy a new enemy. It's Anderson. And the dogs attack. In the initial attack, she loses her lawgiver. But, you know, that's not enough to take out a Mega City judge. She quickly draws her boot knife and takes one of the dogs out. It was pretty awesome. Boot um, knife. <laughs> you got to say it. That's how it works. You have got to <laughs> say it. That's how exactly. <laughs> got to say your weapons. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, how will they know? Um but um, when she comes up, the other gu- the other dogs are waiting to strike, and they're standing over her gun. So she sort of intuits that these dogs are intelligent and probably being psychically controlled by that soldier guy. Um, deciding to try to cut the head off of the snake, she grabs some nearby pipes and uses them to swing around and uh, bypass the dogs and um, take the soldier hostage. But this does nothing to deter the dogs, and she realizes... That the dogs are controlling him. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah, real bad. And she's things, next. Yeah, they start to attack her and things look real bad for our hero. And suddenly shots ring out and it's the backup blowing away the dogs with their bike guns, which is pretty awesome. Like actual cop stuff here. Like you call for backup and they, and they actually and it's, come it, it arrives and in help time. you out. Yeah. Like this, this almost, ne- this never happens with Dread, you know. <laughs> you never see it in a comic. Yeah. But so uh, the dogs are all dead and the soldier comes too. He kind of explains that he bought a Cygor Warhound from a spacer, thinking it would be a good Mega City One ratter, but not knowing it was pregnant. Soon, the beast had a litter of puppies and their combined psychic might was enough to take over his brain. 
the uh, the dog need basically needed someone with hands to carry their prey home with them, <laughs> and Ugh. so he's been like, you know, pressed into their service. Basically, it's it, it, it's hard times, and that seems like a tough situation. But yeah. Anderson is not sympathetic. She uh, she gives the creep twenty years for his crimes, and as for the Cygors, well, old soldiers never die. They just get sent to recycle. Oh my goodness. Punchline from Anderson. <laughs> real good. Real good Anderson punchline here. Real gross as we're going to turn those dogs into whatever whatever they, they do with recycling. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure about sending alien flesh to a recycle, but there you go. You think Mega City One might need to toughen up their uh, policies about um, allowing aliens in, <laughs> into the city? Um, I mean, yeah. Like, the, you know, the. Sneaking the, the stuff st- in. The strength and levels of Mega City One customs very much seems to vary from from time to time. You know, I th- like uh, Dredge worked that 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 bill, and he was definitely very hard on like Kenny Who when, yes. when, when he tried to come to yeah. Mega City One. Very but tough on just, Scots coming to the city, but uh, not so much on alien cygor beasts. You know, yeah. I guess maybe they go through different lines or something, or you know, judges want to <laughs> be on the street, so they sort of just you know shirk their customs duty, which is which is just bad bad judging, you know. That that's the real scandal, honestly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but uh. but but speaking of differing ideas of how uh, judges should work, it's thrill three, sweet justice. Uh oh. It's the tech story. Oh What's no! What's this tech story doing in my comic? Oh, these words! I hate them. Oh, this one's got a pretty ridiculous pedigree. Uh, script robot Neil Gaiman, art robot uh, uh, Lee uh, uh, Bolch. Balch, Bolch, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I I I did some looking, and I believe the artist here, uh, uh, Lay Bo- uh, a Bolch is a artist who did uh, Spider-Man for Marvel UK and has a really interesting style. He also did some of the early character designs for uh, Neil Gaiman's Sand- uh, uh, Sandman as well. Oh, okay. All right. So like, they knew each other. They worked together. Or they would go on to work together on something, uh, dare I say, it, much better than this. <laughs> indeed. Uh, I mean... You know, he'd, he'd actually do art for Sandman, but um, I guess according to the Wikipedia page, he did do some, like, initial character designs. Oh, cool. Um, did not yeah, know so, that. Yeah, I mean, but it does sort of add up to making, like, a, a tech story that, that does at least have some names behind it, you know? Yes. It also also opens with the classic Brian Ball and uh, Judge Hershey pit, uh, pinup as well. Which is no bad know, thing, yeah. No, always, always happy to see that. Um, and she's starring in this one, so it makes sense. A lot of world building in this here um, <laughs> um, tech story. A lot of like sort of growing out of uh, Atlantis in '86. This sort of v- view of the of Britsit and the Britsit judges that, yes. that we've seen before. Yeah, lo- lots of um, Britsit. Hershey, yeah, a lot of yeah, definitely. And it seems like Hershey isn't on the Council of Six and or of, of five in this story, although she definitely is. So I don't know what's going on, but um, anyway, Hershey's working a case. Um. Like sugar addicts across Mega City One have been found with their bodies hollowed out and full of spiders, which is pretty terrifying. Um, and apparently, when news of, this, of these crimes reached Britsit, they requested that Hershey cross the pond and uh, consult with the Britsit judges. Of course. So Chief Judge Silver sends her over. Yeah, so Chief Judge Silver sends her over to liaise with them and just great culture. Cl- uh, I should say, actually, the, the opening of this story, 
I think it's pretty decent also, which is sort of from the perspective of a would-be like sugar buyer, sort of going to, to to buy sugar from like a sugar junkie, but instead finding that he's like full of spiders. Like that's kind of a cool opening. That's kind I of creepy, guess. yes. Yeah. In the uh, um, the bowels or the alleyway under Stephen King block. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good, good block choice for sure. Um so she arrives in uh, in Britsit, and again, yeah, just big, big clash of uh, cultures, sort of cl- you know, standard two nations divided by by a, by a common language kind of thing, um, you know, because Brit judges they've got ornamental chin stars, they call people tattoo or they sorry they, they they've got chin star tattoos, they call people blokes. Some of the judges even have beards. Oh no, terrible ridiculous um and uh they generally just take things easier on the perps than mega city one ju- uh, judges do hershey even sees a tv show about hard charging judge dud who is the law <laughs> um naturally even here in britsit though hershey still has to do deploy her icy stare to disarm those who, who would question her suitability as a judge because she's a woman um, and eventually Hershey's partnered with a judge armor and the game is afoot. Yes. Finally, the partnership happens. Yeah. Yes. You know, very, uh, very, uh, you know, standard, like a uh, cop, cop, like this is for me, this is very, um, like a, 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 a cop on the edge, like, um, l- l- like John McClane from, from, from Die Hard being partnered with like Inspector Morse or someone from, or, uh, you know, the, the the midsummer guy just some very genteel like a british investigator from a tv show you know yes we don't quite do that like over here judge hershey <laughs> yes please uh softy softy catchy perp you know that's um, us yeah but anyway um their investigation takes them to hyde park now a 150 story car park with some grass on the roof basically um in the middle of it a rock group and here's where things get real rough <laughs> there's a rock group, which is apparently a group of sentient rocks on a worldwide tour called the Growling Stones. Of course. What, what else? <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, are, are, they're performing in the middle of the park, but off to the side, there's a speaker's corner where people can say anything without fear of retribution. Which appalls uh, Hershey. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, actually, because they have these in Mega City 1. We saw them in Prague 423 right before Super Surf 7, where some guy sort of said a bunch of anti-judge stuff, which sent Judge Sleever amok. So they had to do like a, you know, Dread had to, had to take him out and stuff. Oh, okay. So it is kind of an interesting thing, I guess, to sort of, you know, not re- like reusing this. You know, maybe, maybe Hershey's never done a, a rotation where those are or something like that. But um, I love all the people agitating for different things here. It's, you know, th- there are some of, the, some of the standard get rid of judges stuff. There's also um, like in favor of smoking, um, ha- robots having rights and m- muty bashing. And even one guy calling for the legalization of sugar. Sugar, of course. <laughs> but um, it's, it's funny because the sugar speaker sort of like says that sugar's fine, like there's no problems about it, which is, of course, incorrect. And in fact, like is the single substance that's caused more human misery than any other, just if you sort of like map it on a global scale. But 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 whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but near him, Hershey sees a familiar face and calls out to him it, like it's uh, this guy named Clute and he's wanted for this sugar selling. Ah, oh, they're after him. Clute, freeze. 
<laughs> a, a chase breaks out. He runs through. Clute runs to the park and takes one of the growling stones, Big Jaeger hostage. Or at least he tries to because he kind of jumps on top of this stone and threatens he's going to shoot it. But like uh, standing on top of a giant boulder, ooh, that could be dangerous as the rocker threatens to roll over on him. Yeah, Whoa. rock and roll. <laughs> the perp surrenders and eventually takes Hershey and armor to his sugar stash. Um, in the basement of the Ennio Morricone block, of course, the uh, good, bad, and the ugly composer, uh, or sp- sp- spaghetti western composer, generally, I guess. Um, Clute shows the judges a uh, uh, a locked basement with a huge area f- with the, just full of giant mounds of sugar. Homer Simpson's you, stash you, of sugar. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Especially because he pulls a British guy out of the sugar and nipped it for some tea. Yes. I stole it when you weren't looking, and I'll do it again. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. First you get the first you get the sugar, then you get the power, then you get the women. Everybody yep. knows that. Um, <laughs> the the judges are like just just this massive sweetness in the air. This giant like a. Uh, untold bounty of sugar caused the judges to almost taste it but instead they put down their uh, their ventilator masks instead and uh, it seems like a good choice especially when they notice a giant spider on the pile as you do this isn't sugar it's spider eggs oh, oh my no God. it's explained <laughs> Apparently, also, this spider isn't just a regular old bug. It's like a super, it's like an intelligent, like sentient alien. So, not only is this clute guy sugar running, he's also kidnapping. I told you, smuggling in alien creatures. It's not, yeah. not good. Seriously. And so, it seems like, you know, basically the you know interesting lifestyle here where the uh, the spider lays a bunch of eggs and they taste really good so people eat them and then the eggs sort of gestate and uh get early nourishment from eating the inside of the creature that swallowed the eggs um, that's pretty creepy stuff conrad pretty horrifying stuff yeah. yes <laughs> Anyway, before they can arrest the perp, he's turned to spiders too cuz he's been sampling his own wares. Dun dun dun, never do yeah. that. Seriously. Yeah, you know, don't don't get don't get high on your own supply even if it's like a sugar rush, I guess. Um the case is closed and Hershey happily heads back home, but uh as she does, Judge Silver has gotten a request to have Hershey go back for 6 months and he might just make her go. Oh no. <laughs> the end. The end. I mean, I thought this was a decent tech story. I don't know. Like I thought um like I like it, it it sort of was bookended by some creepiness, just this uh this idea of like uh spiders, like, you know, of your insides turning to spiders and stuff. That's pretty pretty ridiculous. And like just I don't know, talking all the uh I love just like spending time in Britsit and sort of having judges be shocked by like um not being in a completely brutal fascist state, you know. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a class of cultures, I guess. Okay. I mean, if it had a pseudonym uh, for the writer, then I'd probably mm. accept it as a straightforward, you know, uh, annual text story. It does raise the raise the standards of, of of what it should be. You're right. Yeah, and of course, you know, we get this thing with 2000 AD and other comics. So sometimes with the artist, when you see the early artist, and then you know what they're going to go on to become, how great they're going to be, and you see the sort mm-hmm. of like the rough edges, uh, and because it's Neil Gaiman. Um, and I really, really, really wanted to like this one, Conrad, because I've sort of, <laughs> I've sort of used this as the justification for me talking about Sandman on my podcast. Um, oh no. 
But um, this was early Neil Gaiman, wasn't it? You know, mm. considering what he's going to go on to write. Um, Absolutely. You can I, mean, I feel like you can see... I feel like I can see pieces of it, especially with the opening sort of from like the uh, the uh, the sugar buyer's perspective and stuff like that. But yes, I mean, definitely not his best stuff, of course. No. I mean, I, I feel like I've got like for me, it's a I'm, I'm grading on a curve that goes both ways of like one. It's this famous comics, you know, famous writer and stuff. But on the other hand, like I've just been burned by I've read so many of these texts. <laughs> Yeah. at this point that like anything halfway decent is like you know gets an a for me almost just because like i'm just like it's any like i felt something like i wasn't just completely bored and like angry about it so you know it's and it's a hershey story which is always good you know we like to see hershey getting a, a run out even if she has to trot off to brits it uh, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah, she's 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 such the uh, she's such in third place of sort of the the current reoccurring dread characters that I I like when when she gets a chance, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And the you know the imagery of the people turning into spiders, uh, and that the last image of the dealer who's um, uh, sampled his own merchandise as Hershey Hershey shrugged, he's gone to pieces. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> oh, but she. Now she's just uh, stealing from dread from when she heard him say that during um during the judge child and the uh, and the jigsaw man. Yeah, know? there you go. Oh, no. <laughs> recycling the, best, the lines, guess. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, speaking of uh, of uh, recycling thrills. Thrill for the DNA man. Oh no, here we go. Uh, yeah, script wrote by John Wagner as John as a Jay Howard, are about Brett Ewan's Langer about Tom Frame. Uh, classic Dread action here from spring 1979, Prague's 113 to 115. Um, in This one kind of had some, some significance to me, I guess, just because um, on uh, Where Eagles Dare, the uh, the New Eagle podcast, they um, one of the... One of their final photo stories had these had a, a manic story that was about these guys that had been experimented on and became like ugly and started saying like ugly oh. and stuff like that, which um, has some very similar beats to this story. So I was sort of you know that sort of like pinged in my brain, I guess. Oh, uh, right, okay. But <laughs> all right, standard um, um, Judge Dredd stuff here. There's a mad scientist. He's making a he, he's using DNA to make a clone of himself, and things go pretty bad um, as the clones all got a messed up face, you know, mismatched eyes, incomplete lip coverage, which you really want complete lip coverage. Yeah, he's named Dennis, or as he says, Dennis. Yeah, the first DNA man. Yeah, the uh, professor's assistant Beaker. Uh, disagrees with all this and attacks the scientist and tries to kill Dennis, but Dennis takes him out instead. Of course, the creatures always do. Yeah, you know, listen, like a lab assistant cannot beat a creature ever. It's never no. happened. <laughs> <laughs> the bo- uh, the body of um, this guy Beaker is soon found by the Justice Department and Dredd is on the case. They do analysis and find the fingerprints of Professor D. Frankenstein, or, you know, uh, Frankenstein, as some say. Um, although this guy is probably not related to Frankenstein 2 from uh, episode, from like episode, from uh, issue 6 of 2018. No, you know? this is Professor Milton D. Frankenstein. Indeed, much classier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's he, he's probably 
related to the one that Frankenstein 2 made look like a jelly baby. But anyway, um, after a fake-out cold open, we see Dredd interview uh, Frankenstein. The doctor claims innocence, and Dredd seems to agree and rides off. Meanwhile, the professor decides to make more DNA, man. Surely one of them will look decent. But nah, they're all jacked-up monsters. Uh, Yeah, ugly. They're all real ugly. One of them's a Cyclops, which I always like. Um, Frankenstein then sends them out to kill Dredd, you know, as you do. They rampage through the city following uh, Frankenstein's mental commands. And eventually they barge into Dredd's apartment, uh, attacking Dredd, Walter the Wobot making a guest appearance, and also guest appearance, uh, Dredd's Italian stereotype housekeeper, Maria. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes, it's the the two worst, isn't it? It's Walter (laughs) and Maria. We fought an apocalypse war, so we didn't have to deal with these guys again. What the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Dredd shoots the Cyclops one, which I'm bummed about, um, and one with a tall forehead, tosses another out the window, but there's still three of them left. They grab Dredd. He's pinned. So Dredd's under attack with these messed up clones with the help of Walter. Good Lord. He helps. He takes them down and then continues on the hunt for Dr. Frankenstein and prime clone Dennis. Can we just say that Walter takes out two of the clones with hot synthy calf? You lord waking weeks. <sighs> you know, he's got yeah. these uh, drink dispensers and stuff like that. So I, I, try not, I, I try to minimize Walter's appearances in my recaps. Quite right. Quite right. Erase him from history. You know? uh. <laughs> no, I don't know. I feel like I've softened on Walter now that I haven't seen him in a couple of years. You know, uh. like I pretty much only see him in these annuals. I'm like, oh, he's, he's maybe not that bad. But then I like re-listen to old episodes of the show. And I'm like, no, listen, no, I'm like, he screw is. that Walter guy. I'm not <laughs> interested. <laughs> so... We see the uh, we, we we get a rare sighting of the northern border of Mega City One into Mutiland, mm. and along the way, um, uh, scientists and monster bump into uh, Zatana uh, outfitted uh, lady selling refreshments. You know, sort of one piece and fishnets and stuff. Yes, a, a yeah. c- cigarette girl style, and she faints from Dennis's awful face. And he just kind of grabs her and takes her like Frankenstein slash King Kong style. Classic classic monster pose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Dredd's in hot pursuit, but Frankenstein manages to cross the border. But Dennis, meanwhile, trips and is arrested. The lady wakes up and she once again screams and calls Dennis ugly, ugly. And he then freaks out, grabs Dr. Frankenstein and the two of them uh, tumble off the border bridge seemingly to their deaths. Oh no, it's terrible. And so ends the saga of the first DNA man. And hopefully the last. I mean, in in my personal headcanon, I imagine Dennis actually surviving this fall and then going on to uh to travel the spaceways and found the little chums of dennis from from strontium dog you know oh yeah okay i mean classic universal horror film he he's gonna survive that plunge isn't he of course if you don't see the body exactly yeah yeah or just like like even if you see the body because he's sort of you know a clone and stuff even if you bury him like the hand could still come out of the grave and stuff like that freeze him in a block of ice that always works for a short while yeah but i figure he's a clone of a genius he might be smart however inarticulate he is he's just has a speech problem 
Yeah, so I could see him like sort of finding a life of peace and calling people chum in the same way that he calls pe- calls himself ugly, you know, and thus a uh, a small religion is founded and then attacked by Max Bubba and sort of things go poorly. Things go <laughs> you know? south from there, yeah. Indeed. Um and speaking of um, things going south and misunderstood, um, str- strange-looking guys finding success, it's Thrill 5, Last of the Bad Guys, Part 2. <laughs> Ooh, we're back with the bad... and we meet the guys. Absolutely. I love this part. Um, <laughs> the story continues as we hear Judge Gabriel Marta's report. Or Gabrielle Marta. She uh, picked up the trail of some outlaws. There's over 130 of them. And she follows them as they assault um, a small town and take it hostage. They round up the townsfolk and introduce themselves. This is very like Road Warrior style. Yeah. Um, they're, they're all guys led by big guy who's basically just, just Lord Humongous uh, with a football helmet instead of a hockey mask. Indeed. Um, and he starts introducing everybody. He's actually very jovial, which I, I really appreciate. Uh, he's leader of the bad guys. He's co-leader with the mutant blind guy. There's also a whole bunch of others. Rough guy, tough guy, dirty guy, purdy guy, and a ton more. Even um, uh, my fave smelly guy who's sort of off in the distance. He smells real bad. He's <laughs> kind of like, hey, what's up? Um, good gag. Yeah, uh, real good. And like, listen, they're doing great these guys they're on the grow you can they offer the townsfolk a chance to join up and get a guy name and a sweet lapel badge and listen if you don't want to join you still get a guy name yeah dead guy <laughs> <laughs> this is a cool recruiting system I like yeah it, it is um, yeah he's good and there's even a recruiting guy yeah yeah so it also looks like blind guy is a is psychic and he sees judge marta coming marta we, we then see Marta finishing her report, but before she can send it off, she's ambushed by a bunch of the guys and gets zooked and then attacked by a vicious dog guy. <laughs> again, more vicious dogs. Yeah. You know, again, these themes always develop. It's, it's, it's very weird. Um, yeah. But so Marta's down and dreads on the case. He soon finds what's left of Marta's body being eaten by the dog vultures ever present in uh, the Cursed Earth. And he, he listens to her report on the guys and realizes that, that she must have been killed right when she was filing it. So Dred's got to follow these guys and stomp them down for, you know, killing a judge. That's the only thing you can do. Yeah. Um, he pursues them as a rad storm brews. And I really love just how Higgins draws just some amazing stormy landscapes, you know, lightning falling everywhere and stuff like that. It's uh, the color work uh, and the lightning and the storms and the changes on each page. It's just beautiful stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's really great. Um, we see, yeah, Dredd like, kind of puts on his like big cloak and stuff and sort of guys as, as lightning falls around him. The red cloak, yeah. yeah. After it clears, Dredd's forced to once again to hide, this time from another swarm of those Ripper Jacks, but then realizes that where he's hiding is actually their lair. Oh, no. It's real tough. He's got to very like quietly, like you know, just sort of walk his bike out of there, just to not wick them up and stuff. Yeah, it's a very, very tense couple panels here. And finally, he um, sneaks out and is approaching the bad guy camp. And blind guy gets a vision of dread approaching. He tries to warn big guy, but they aren't getting the drop on on him like, like they did Judge Marta. And in fact, instants later, dread attacks and kills blind guy and big guy in one fell swoop. Ba-doom. 
Marta had planned that this would uh, shatter the guys, but actually bad guy morale is pretty strong. Yeah. And another guy soon rallies the rest of the guys to go after Dredd. <laughs> They're a bunch of guys. Good. Yeah, but, but a whole bunch of them. Mar- yeah, so Dredd's, Dredd, however, still has another plan, and he starts leading the pursuing guys to their ultimate fate. So, Conrad, we've seen these Ripper Jacks and their lair now a couple of times. You don't think that's going to be important, do you? I just, I have to imagine that this is just sort of some random cursed earth color, and then Dredd's going to find a way to beat them that doesn't involve it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I must say also, as someone who with a limited vocabulary that often um, falls back on just calling people like that guy or this dude or something, these guys actually being called guys is really, um, yeah. really feels like something that's just to help me along. It does sure. help, doesn't it? This guy, <laughs> then is that guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Higgins, he takes full advantage of like having the double pages and he does, uh, he runs the panels across the top of the page and he sort of divides yes. it that way, doesn't he? Which is uh, yeah. interesting. It's like having yeah. the middle two pages, but several, you know, right the way yeah. through. We've seen this style before in uh, in, in Dread actual annuals, actually. I, I remember uh, um, uh, Mike McMahon did, did, um, at least one story that had a similar style where there's one big picture and then a bunch of, of smaller panels on top of it. It's like you said, it, it's really great. Actually. It really like, you know, makes the story feel really big and grand, um, which is really amazing. in these like painted, you know, color images and stuff. Yeah. It's a real good job. I love, I, I'm liking the story a lot, if just because, you know, like the fact that they're all called guys is just really like make it, I'm just nonstop laughing about that. It's really hilarious. But anyway, um, let's, uh, you know, like that's good content. And speaking of things that maybe have a little bit less content, it's Thrill 6, Top of the Cops. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> You know, filler. Uh, uh, co- yeah, collated by Mike Butcher, who might be the guy from TechCrunch, like in a first newspaper job. I'm not sure. But this is, of course, the filler for this annual. Although it's a little interesting. I guess there's a similar thing in the sci-fi special this year. And just sort of doing some accounting for dread stuff up to Prague 500. You know, time to reflect and sort of just have some giant lists of, of dread junk. Yep. <laughs> All the stories. Yeah, I mean, it, it it is kind of interesting. I guess there's just a list of titles of Dread stories, which sort of reminds me, at least, that there's only Dread only missed three progs, uh, one, 109, and 105. And those were the end of Judge Cal and the start of the Judge Child, respectively, sort of wind up for big mega epics. Right. Um, there's the most frequent artists, including Ron Smith, who's done 133. And McMahon's in second, despite not actually being, having done any dread since Block Mania, which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then Carlos, who's coming up in third place, having done the Apocalypse com- War, and he's on, yeah. the, on the rise. D- definitely coming in strong there, yeah. for sure. There's the top five writers, and the top three are John Wagner's pseudonyms, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, Tom Frames lettered 407 dread stories. It's astonishing, um, isn't it? Really, just the... Uh, um, the outputs, yeah, yeah, j- j- just how much stuff fra- uh, uh, Tom frames because he also letters other stuff. Just yeah. how much stuff he, how much of a hand he has in all these thrills, definitely. Um, there's a listing of longest stories, which includes the mega racket rackets, which which, which I'm not sure about because that was more of a themed, a, a set of themed um stories that that weren't contiguous as opposed to like the you know the cursed earth or uh, or the apocalypse war. Sure. Um. 
And then there's a bunch of universe stuff, like the names of chief judges, judges named after soccer players, lists of crazes, game shows, Dredd's top villains. And, and you know, of course, the uh, the important thing is that Judge Death is the only Dread villain that's appeared in multiple stories. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go, because uh, all the rest of them have all been shot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, although we're about to see the premiere of another long-term uh, uh, Dread villain in the progs. Um, it's also like lists of aliens, city blocks, and tourist attractions. Anyway, <laughs> from sort of depressing filler, let's go to things much more exciting with Thrill 7 Daily Dreads Part 1. Oh, so good. Absolutely, yeah. The Daily Star uh, strip uh, Dreadship se- section, a constant feature in all of these specials and annuals. Uh, Ron Smith doing his art in these super compressed stories. Oh, they're amazing. They are. Yeah, they're just Ron Smith beauties. And as you say, John Wagner's compressed storytelling. Whoa. They just do, they do so much in just these little panels. Um, these ones ran from February, the, the ones in this annual ran from February to April 1986. Uh, we start off with a citizen who takes a pot shot at Dredd and says that he arrested her husband earlier that day, but Dredd doesn't remember because he arrested like over 700 people that morning. Yeah. <laughs> She gets frustrated and goes into her purse to get a photo of him, which causes her to lower her guard, and Dredd is able to arrest her too, but he'll make sure they get adjoining cubes. So nice, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Nice work by Dredd. Next on the uh, top Mega City One vid show, Rich Creeps, <laughs> billionaire jerk uh, RJ, who's clearly, you know, uh, Larry Hagman as JR from Dallas, and there's also uh, Linda Gray as Sue Ellen as. Um, from the show well, but but uh, RJ confesses to some crimes and says the judges love it when you do that. They don't even arrest you or anything. Yeah. And we cut from that show to learn that it's all a ploy that Dredd's doing to get people more people to confess their crimes. Maybe just to reinforce it, let's have Sue Ellen go to prison for 10 years. Yeah. And is that Patrick <laughs> Duffy in the last panel as well? Oh, I think it probably is. Probably good, is, yeah. Good, you know, Ron Smith's such a great caricaturist. He I always is, love yeah. his stuff. And when, it, when he's, you know, Slips them in to uh, to, to 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 these dread strips. It's always a lot of fun. Yeah, Dallas parody, great stuff. Yeah. At the Mega City One uh, Sector House, the judges are reviewing new products for licensing. The Bayo Back Clinic has a new product that would completely eliminate back pain from Mega City One. That would be a huge benefit to the citizenry. But Dread has another opinion, namely that 750 billion crime hours are lost every year to back pain, and putting those people on the streets would be a massive crime wave. Application denied. Can I just, as a doctor, to have a difference of opinion with Dread on his medic- medicine here. Please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on his public health work, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but Dread takes uh, radical opinions when it comes to crime, so yeah. I mean, this is very much the, uh, like, a, like a big medicine, like consp- like a version of the big medicine conspiracy theory, like, um, you know, they just want to, you know, keep us sick or something. But in this case, it's literally saying, like, yes, we would like our citizens to just be in pain so they don't do crimes. Yeah. Very, like, very terrifying. But also, just so Mega City 1, I think. Well, I have to remember <laughs> he is a fascist sort of cop, a super cop you know, of the future, yeah. You, you gotta, like, it's important to remember that Dredd is not the best guy. He's not, <laughs> you know? no. We're not supposed to be rooting for him. <laughs> Indeed. 
Uh, Dread questions a woman in her apartment. Apparently, she sent a cake to the ISO cubes with a file in it. Very classic. Like, I'm not sure how you would actually escape from the ISO cubes with a file. With a file, yeah. <laughs> but uh, she missed her husband a lot and wanted her to come home. But she's now going to keep missing him because he ate the cake. <laughs> This uh, is a very, dear. this is a very like th- th- this joke could happen at any time. Like you could, this could very much be like, like from the 1950s or something like that. But yep. just sort of you know, adding a dread sheen to it, which which I appreciate. I don't know. Yeah, you can see Joe Friday delivering that gag as well, can't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, that's the Daily Dreads for part one. And Ron Smith, oh, it's just wonderful, lovely stuff to look at. Uh, what do they call them short snappy and special something like that I heard that 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 sounds excellent yeah Yeah. I mean that's so true for these strips though they just they they get in they have you know they have a joke they've got great art they're really great you know I've I've really um, I feel like I was skeptical of I've, I've, I've said this before, but I was skeptical of the Daily Dreads um, when I first heard about them. But now they've really just become su- such a great part of all of these like annuals and specials. I always look forward to them. Sure. Yeah, that's superb. Meanwhile, and, uh, speaking of a futuristic action and stresses. Thrill 8, 22nd century footsie. Oh, no. Part of the uh, of Dreads stint on Luna 1. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, John Wagner is John Howard writing. Art about Ian Gibson. Letting about Tony Jacob. Classic Prague 45 stuff here from a billion years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this is, like you said, when Dredd is the marshal on Luna City 1, so he's got a sweet cloak and an even sweeter hover bike. Real awesome. And uh, Ian Gibson also gives us just some real good uh, futuristic landscapes and stuff here as well. I uh, hear you can't get those hover bikes to work properly. <laughs> I've heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> Although I like at, th- at this point there are hover bikes in comic book Mega City One too. They're called like zippers, but they rarely show up. Yeah, um, you know. But yeah, better on the moon, of course. Um, ultimate villain of the Luna of the uh, Luna City saga, but it's it's not resolved here. Uh, we see Mister Mooney yelling at a random wave sla- wage slave to do paperwork instead of go to the office New Year's party. Um, the jerks at this party then show up while he's working and mess up his paperwork. He's completely screwed, and because of it, goes future crazy. He's a footsie, as you would do. Oh yeah, listen. I mean, um, pranks this at work. Com- Don't do it, guys. No, like, come on. People are trying to do stuff. You know, yeah. like you, you think you're Jim from the office, but no. Like, if you do enough pranks, you're Dwight from the office. But yeah. that's the truth. <laughs> But I also just love this idea, this uh, footsie idea of just just there being too much future and people losing losing their uh, their sanity because of this. It's a it's a it's a, sto- it's a concept that that would be really um, really explored in Warren Ellis's uh, Transmetropolitan uh, series. I think that just like too much know. future for us to hold on to. Yeah, like, like man was not meant to live in in this uh, futuristic society. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, the, the year 2100 is ringed in, and the uh, the son of this footsie reports him to Dredd as being uh, as a as a going around the bend. Dredd arrests him, but Mooney's goons then show up and kills the guy. That's a terrible time. R- real rough. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's hard on the moon for sure. Uh, Dredd tries to take Dredd takes them out with his sweet hover cycle, but at this point, it's clearly time for him to settle with Mr. Mooney. Ugh. 
And he would in a later episode. It was an interesting thing where, like, um, I, I remember Mr. Mooney, like, owns the moon because he got rich by finding life on the moon. But that life was, like, a, a virus that, like, infected him and, like, made gave him a giant round head and stuff. Like, real grim sort of <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even in these early, um, early progs. Um, but let's go let, – let's do the, the uh, classic annual move of going from uh, classic strips to filler with Thrill 9, Exit the Dragon, and Isocube Art. Oh, dear. Yes, okay. I mean, this filler I think is, again, not the worst filler I've ever seen as we get to learn a, hear a story about Matthew Jones – a uh, a young artist who wrote the producers of the show Splash to get a visit to the 2080 offices, which we saw in the progs a little earlier, um, and present a treatment for a comic strip he he's written. Yeah. Um, apparently, the brass was so impressed that they got Wagner and Grant to uh, to write a full script based on it, and then let Jones do the art for it. Which I, you know, as thing as these things go, I think that that's a pretty cool thing to do for like like a, a young fan of your comic. Fair play to Thug. Well done. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we, we see this product. Old. Yeah, yeah. It in it, and it's a very twelve-year-old kind of output. But you know, so it, it's it's it, it it's a good effort, I guess. You know, it's a it's a basic dread story: dragon, alien, running amok. Dread rolls in to stop it. Although this one has some extra stuff, just because uh, Ace Garp and Feek uh, get Show star up in, in it. A panel or two. Yeah, Feek even gets uh, gets a day stick to the head and stuff. It's okay. Uh, next up, it's time for some uh, fan art parody judges. Mm-hmm. There's yes. your there's your standard Judge Halo Jones, of course. Got to have one of those at this point in uh, in 2080 history. Yeah, a Judge Brit Vic, a, a, sorry, a Brit Vic judge, which I'm told is a soda company in England. Yes, or um, a water filter. Yeah. There's also a, a Judge Punch looking for his Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. There's Judge Law Sardi, which I is um, which um, I I did reference to and found that this was a uh, uh, based on a uh, famous page three girl Linda Lusardi. Indeed, yes, extremely popular in the eighties for um, reasons. Indeed, uh, a, a pair of them, I'm told. Yes, um, and then there's Judge Cobretti, um, of course, uh, Judge Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> what I on th- earth were they thinking putting a Judge Stallone picture in a 1988 <laughs> Judge Dredd annual? Who would imagine? Who'd have thought, um, eh? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's 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 of course Stallone from the uh, from the poster for the movie Cobra and stuff. But it is always really funny when Stallone shows up in these like cast the judge kind of situations. Yeah. Uh, I think actually next episode is that uh, is is that infamous fan art of a Judge Dread movie that that's done by Danny Cannon, the uh, the director of the Dread of the Dread movie in a couple years. Yes, uh. <laughs> just weird, like uh, you know, like karma things happening here, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some ISO cube art, and uh, exactly. if Matthew Jones is listening to the podcast, tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, I'm interested. I tried to look up. Um, like if he had become an actual artist, but there's just a, actually a, a fair amount of Matthew Joneses that are artists, and so yeah, it's hard. It's too it, 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 it was hard to break it down, you know. Like, Let's hope he listens to Space Spinner 2000. You know, I've it, it is a funny thing sometimes, like especially when I uh, when I see fan art that I feel like is good. That's what I'm like Google the name and see yeah. if they turn into anything. You know, sometimes I found some. It's it, it's been kind of interesting, um, but anyway. 
Let's quickly move on to greener pastures with Thrill 10 Daily Dreads Part 2. Here we go again. John and Ron. Spinning it up. Uh, So Dredd arrives at a block school where the students are out of control, bouncing around on boots made of Boeing. Always appreciate when Boeing shows up again. But it's all under... But, you know, don't worry. We'll get it handled as the headmaster is bouncing after the students with his cane drawn. In a classic British comics uh, with the mortarboard, the the gown and the cane. Yeah. No, he's a full-on robot, like a caning commando. Here. He is. He <laughs> is the caning commando, him. yeah, with Boeing boots. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, next up, oh, geez, it's a biter. The oh, mane no. of Kenny Who's and Judge Hershey's everywhere. Bite attack. I do remember uh, during graveyard shift, Judge Hershey helped Red bust up a bite a, a bite fight ring or something like oh, that. Oh, those terrible course, bite fighters. Yeah, and then, of course, Kenny Who was attacked by a biter early on in his uh, in his visit to Mega City 1 and had to get rabies shots and stuff. <laughs> but um, this guy, Chester Piranha, he's a compulsive biter, hence the name, I guess, and refuses to wear the muzzle that, that Dredd issued him last time. Dredd's had enough of this, punches him in the face, and uh, knocks out all of his teeth. So at least now his bites will be less annoying. <laughs> Should have stuck with the muzzle, chum. <laughs> Amazing. Um, next up, Dredd's on patrol and he spots a four-eyed alien. Let's see your papers. Papers checks out and Dredd gives the alien a kick and sends it back to the alien zone. You can't be out here. And to the judges, you know, just doing their bit for the tourist trade. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> He's so mean to this cute little alien, you know. <laughs> Wonderful alien by Ron Smith. Yeah. It's got like four eyes with a mouth in the middle and stuff. Excellent alien design for sure. Next, it's the Society Wedding of 2108. Uh, Fusty Guggenhatch is marrying her alien sweetheart, Kelvin Maggot. And as always, I assume this is an insult to Kelvin Gosnell because that is an unusual name. Yeah. (laughs) Like anytime there's a Kelvin, I'm like, oh, that's the uh, that's just some sort of insult, you know, especially because Kelvin's always weird, whether it be a, a, a maggot guy or like a nerd whose parents think this thinks that he was replaced by some sort of weird alien. It's good times. But anyway, <laughs> this guy is a worm man, but the uh, the mother of the bride shoots him before they can go to the altar because she won't have her daughter. She, she won't have her daughter marry a bug. No daughter of mine's going to marry a maggot. Exactly. Oh, it's real sad. But dry your eyes. Dry your eyes, my dear, as Maggot is reborn as a cool butterfly alien. And they, like, uh, fly off together. And Dredd barely in this one just sort of remarks that it's a real fairy tale ending. Because that's, yep, Dredd gets the line. You know, in in Mega City 1, I guess, instead of kissing frogs, you're shooting maggots. That's it. It seems about right. That's the best you can get. (laughs) Yeah. So next, uh, a, a perp says that he just found those stolen credit cards that Dredd has caught him with. And if he's lying, may the stars fall from the sky and hit him. And at that moment, Bill Haley's Comet Flotel, which is, of course, Bill Haley uh, and the Comets, the band that did Rock Around the Clock and stuff. And it crashes and lands directly on the perp. So I guess he just might have been lying. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> guess someone figured he was guilty. Yeah, and in more sort of uh, upper-crust bashing comics, a driver has parked directly on a citizen, and now he's dead. uh, Dredd goes to arrest him, and the driver protests. He's Prince Cosmo de Baron Duke, last of the Habsburg Papsburgs. 
He claims his blood is true blue, but a punch to the nose reveals that it's actually red like anyone else's. <laughs> uh, there's and, no messing with red as ever. No, and he and then uh, Habsburg Paxburg gets 20 years for killing and three months for lying. Yep. Get the state cube ready. <laughs> Royalty coming in. I like to imagine that there is at least one uh, ISO block that's got a bunch of themed cubes, just as uh, ironic punishments, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, uh, we get some um, some updating of the world of the uh, of a com- of a strip mega city one as Chief Judge Magruder takes the long walk and Judge Silver is sworn in. The people don't like it and start to riot, so it's time for dreads. Dread and the rest of the judges to wade in with their day sticks and make them lump it. Yeah. You heard the chief judge smile. Real, yeah. Real, real rough, but I do love when, um, like, the, the, um, continuity of the uh, of the prog sort of is reflected in, in these daily dread strips as well. I just sort of, you know, I, I like the effort of it. You know, I love the panel with Magruder turns her back on on Mega City One and walks out into the cursed earth, while the judges form their uh, sort of uh, s- the saluting line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when will we see her again, Conrad? <laughs> I, I don't want. I don't want to talk about it in case Fox is listening. To this, no, okay. That's, you know, you, you won't get that information from me, me, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Anyway, anyway, that's the Daily Dreads <laughs> Part Two, and they're yeah. so great. And, Real great uh, stuff. I've had Guy Robbins on my podcast talking about the collected Daily Dreads Volume One, and he's going to come back, I hope, later this year and do Volume Two, where it sort of shifts from Ron oh, Smith to uh, Ian Gibson art. But Ron Smith, oh, wonderful! It's real great. Yeah, we've we've seen or in. In previous episodes, we, we've seen them start to shift a little bit away from gag a day stories to longer storylines as well. Yeah. Um, sort of interesting ways to sort of do things with these uh, strips. And I, and I guess they do eventually become actually daily as well, which is what surely changes what they can do with storytelling and stuff. Yeah. Um, amazing stuff. Absolutely. But speaking of like less amazing stuff, it's Thrill 11, the dread driving test, which is just more filler. Oh, just get it over with. (laughs) Yeah, multiple choice questions about locations and dread history and stuff. It's got a big picture of Citizen Snork, and that's the best thing that I can say about it. Um, after that, there's an ad for the uh, for the 2080 annual with uh, Anderson and Johnny Alpha threatening Tharg, which I'm pretty excited for, and we'll be talking about here in a couple of weeks. Slightly cheaper than the Judge Dredd annual as well. Yeah, it it always has been, despite the fact that I believe it's usually like 30 pages longer. As oh, well. right, okay. <laughs> like, Dread was that's... still the big the big seller. Oh, I, absolutely. I think I, I I think it's always been just that. Um, yeah that title you know um anyway we go to thrill 12 dread end this is weird conrad <laughs> absolutely yeah script and art by by brian bond i believe lettering tom frame so this was apparently meant to be part of tharg's head revisited i'm told yeah it looks um, like it but it wasn't ready in time for the issue um in a in in 500 so Dredd meets with master artist Brian Bolland, appearing as himself, not as an art droid, which made me uh, be a, which shocked me to my core, for the record. Yeah. But, um, it looks like Thread's talking to him while he's drawing the killing joke, or at least some kind of Joker-related thing. There's just a bunch of close-ups on uh, big smiley faces in, in, in the art he's working on there. Oh, good spot. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I, 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 Bolland's actually working on the Joker. 
Mm. Yeah, I thought that was really neat, and 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 this was and five hundred is around the time when that's coming out. So yeah. it's definitely like um, possible, I guess. But um, so Thargas Balin to draw some dread, but Balin refuses. Thargas, why? And Balin basically takes him to a wall of dread memorabilia. Like I've just drawn him so much, I'm tired of it. Look at all these covers. Indeed. Um, I'm going to talk about that in a second, though. Um, so Th- Tharg lets Balin do what he wants, and then we get a fancy new dread with a silly hat on his helmet, a bouquet of flowers, and a hobby horse. He's kind of a simping dread. <laughs> uh. And then it's, it's, real, it's real crazy. And then the bottom of the page has some very Tharg's head revisited sort of bottom strip with Balin drawing like the, uh, the, the dark judge is all very silly. Um, you know, Anderson and Tweak sort of uh, for, foretelling doom. We also see like a Hershey and Rondo and uh, that that Rondo hat and Moon Lawyer and just off screen part of a jolly green giant. Ooh, <laughs> they won't have to apologize for that later. Yeah, just just enough to not um, call in the copyright lawyers, I yeah. guess. But um, you know, because this seems like it was for Tharg's head revisited, I can't help but wonder if some of the text or of, of the words is changed here. You know, because it's very interesting when Brian when when Balin shows Tharg like all the memorabilia and all the covers and things is all that one same dread image. You know, the uh, the the cover from Prague four hundred three with dread with the gun and stuff. Yes. Um. So and you know, just knowing that like you know that. McMahon had that section in Tharg's head about swipers and just that it's all just sort of the, the, the airing of grievances. I could see the original script or the one Balin did sort of talking about how, you know, he hasn't done the prog in years and years and they just keep making new stuff, like using his art for dread, you know? Yeah. Because um, like, you know, I, I, I remember like one of the memorabilia things is like a clock and there was re- – and at the end of 86, there was like a dread clock contest and stuff. There in, is in the, the clock, yes, and a toilet seat and a Judge Dread and Lady Die picture as well. Yeah, that's, that, that was the best one. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's Yeah, it's a little protest thing. from Brian Bolland, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just I, – I, I'm just thinking back to the tone of Tharg's head revision yeah. and how it's all these airing of grievances and stuff. And this definitely seems like this could have been a, a grievance he would he would choose to expose in um in that issue, you know? Yeah. So here it is towards the end of the annual. Um, yeah, but instead he didn't make deadlines, so it's it's it, it's hidden at the end of an annual that yeah. people don't see. You know, that's the uh, that's the price of uh, timeliness, I guess. Yes, well, I mean, I guess uh, Bolland, uh, not famous for being um, the speediest of artists, you know. You know, it's it's a problem that uh, that plagues so many comic artists. It's yeah. hard to single out one person for it, for sure. Yeah. Um, but speaking of being on time, yeah, <laughs> we'll see that uh, Dread is never late with Thrill Thirteen: Last of the Bad Guys, Part Three. Into the what? Valley of Death. Into the Valley of Death. Yeah, the bad guys, they're chasing after Dredd. They're playing rough, but Dredd isn't super worried, it seems. He's leading them, of course, into the, you know, Ripperjack lair. Oh, it's a murder swarm. Yep. You know, as we, of course, surmised, he places explosives as he goes in, lures the guys deeper and deeper into the lair. When the bomb goes off, the storm awakens. Yep, into Chekhov's cave. Chekhov's cave. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> At least as good as Chekhov's weighted weighted bag. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> the Ripper Jacks attack the guys and Dread a little bit, but mostly them. And the guys are just devoured alive as Dread's able to escape. 
the the bad guy threat handled, Dread heads the landing zone, because that mob thought they were bad, but they only met a real bad guy when they met Judge Dread. The end. <laughs> the oh, end. Beautiful coloring again. <laughs> lovely, lovely cave work. Oh. Yeah, excellent caves, good um, guys being devoured alive stuff. Excellent. You know, fun, Great. Fun end, and then just Dread successfully riding out into the sunset. You know, excellent stuff. Oh, terrific. Oh, man. And with that, um, Eamon Clark of the Mega City Book Club, we finished the 1988 Judge Dredd Annual. Oh, Oh, man. What a stonker. Yeah, real fun one, I thought. Yeah. Um, A lot of, you know, like, I I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about one long story versus a couple uh, uh, shorter ones in these. But this one was fun. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. general combo of filler and new stuff and old stuff and all that stuff so i have one question for you which is what were your top and bottom thrills of this annual okay so i'm gonna disregard the filler i'm gonna put that Mm. to one side i'm not gonna be unkind to a 12 year old who's done a pretty good job uh i'm (laughs) going to say that it's the text story by neil gaiman because it really disappointed me. I wanted it to be great because I wanted to justify having Sandman <laughs> on my podcast. And it really, I, you know, apart from the creepy bits, as you say, the opening passage and the spiders. Uh, but apart from that, I thought it was a bit, a bit lame for a tech story. So that's my bottom and the top. <laughs> um, I'm almost tempted by the daily dreads because they're just things of beauty. But um, I'm going to give it to John Higgins' glorious art. I think the story of the bad guys, uh, the sort of dread, you know, goes out and takes out a cursed earth gang is something that we see quite a lot. Oh, yes. It's a very basic story. for Yeah. But John Higgins, beautiful colored artwork uh, and what he does with these big page layouts and the cave and the ripper jacks. So I'm going to give it to um, the uh, last of the bad guys story by uh, Wagner and Higgins and Grant and Tom Frame. Tom Frame, excellent. And of course, Conrad, I have to ask the Fox question because everybody wants to know what were your top and bottom thrills from this uh, 1988 Judge Dredd annual? Absolutely, yeah. You know, I always discount the filler too just because I feel like the filler has, you know, it's got a job to do that's different than the actual thrills in the comic. You know, it's more sort of take up space and some some of it was interesting this year. Um, I'm going to say for my bottom... I will go with the Ian Gibson dread story on the moon. Oh, yeah. Um, just be not because it's particularly bad, but it is sort of in the middle of this um, dread moon story. And so it feels sort of both sides of it feels very incomplete to me. You know, I would have loved if they'd done the like I'd, I'd, I'd love it if, if they'd done the whole section and had, you know, Dredd's Adventures on the Moon, like with like the with the Olympics, with the war games and stuff, and then ended, ended the section with him taking out Mr. Mooney. As it is, this is kind of like what was in, in, in last year's Dread Annual, actually, where they did the, uh, the prologue to the Robot Wars, but they didn't have the actual Robot Wars themselves. So I just kind of feel like on a cliffhanger almost. For oh, it. right. Yes, I remember. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of a letdown there. Leaves you yeah. wanting the big story. Yeah, I kind of want to see, like I I I like that final confrontation. I would not mind seeing it again. So it's sort of a bummer. Yeah, it, it not being there. Um, for my top thrill, I am going to. I will agree with you and say, last of the bad guys. This was a fun story. Um, 
while, as you say, it is very like predictable and kind of a basic dread tale, there's some character stuff in here that I think is really good. I love the guys, like just that. <laughs> such whole a gift pa- to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, I called like you know, as someone who struggles, uh, uh, like I said, just to f- not just say the same words over and over again when I'm narrating these stories, and occasionally just going back to saying like this guy and and, and that guy. Um, this is a real gift to me. Just all these guys are guys, and they all got descriptive names. This is amazing, <laughs> you know, like that um, page where. Um, bad guy where big guy does his like a sales pitch is an amazing page i love that just all the different guys and the higgins drawing this array array of different characters and stuff and then like you know the the pitch and and, you know or you can end up dead guy and all that stuff i love that page that's a really amazing one to me um and yeah generally i decided you know it was a fine fine dread story Good, good work. Good use of the color as well, which which I think is it, it, it is important in these annuals. Sometimes we've had stories that have been in color and they're they're just sort of incidentally in color. So I appreciate like really making use of it to draw some huge landscapes. And Julian, I, I thought it, it 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 did a good job. Like I'm I'm all for this one. Yeah, it's a cool story and it's a fun annual. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks, Absolutely. Conrad. It's been great fun doing it. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's amazing to talk to you and get into these annuals and just sort of go thrill by thrill and stuff. Um, you know, I, 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 I look to you sometimes in my podcast inspiration or just to talk about 2080 stuff. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Oh, Conrad. You know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, plus those 2080 podcasters have to stick together. You we know? do, yes. There's there's a thousand Batman podcasts and like four 2080 podcasts. That's so, it. <laughs> we have to fight our corner. Exactly. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. Everything else, look up spacespinner2000, and we should be there. Eamon, where can we find um, – th- thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can we find the Mega City Book Club? Uh, you can find me at megacitybookclub.com, which has got all the links there uh, to Twitter, to Facebook, to Instagram, and to the podcast feeds. And stay tuned to megacitybookclub.com, where you will believe a man may or may not melt down with <laughs> Conrad from Space Spinner 2000 very oh, soon. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Fox is going to be so jealous because I get to talk about Tiger Commander again, and that's his favorite 2008 character. <laughs> Absolutely. is everybody's, yeah. <laughs> and then everybody come back next time here on Space Spinner. Um, as the hour of the wolf passes, Johnny helps the ki- or Johnny Alpha helps the king with some duck business, and Dread first becomes the bad guy when Revolution comes to Mega City One, only for an even greater villain to debut as pa- as PJ Maybe starts to bug his neighbors. Oh, stay then, tuned. Indeed. And speaking of infamy, uh, Mean Team rolls on, and we'll see one of the most maligned 2080 stories of all time, the Nemesis the Warlock photo strip. Ugh. Oh, my God. Until then, I'm Conrad David, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splunding for Frig!